Heavenly Father, we come to this point of the service where we want to hear you speak to us clearly and powerfully through your word. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity each week or each day as we open up your word to hear you speak to us. And we pray now that as we come to your word that you would do that in each one of our lives. Father, we pray that you would remove anything from our hearts or our minds that would hinder us from hearing what you have to say. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So it's been said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Have you ever heard that one? I don't know who said it, but I've heard it over and over and over again growing up. And as I was talking to the kids, I had plans once. You'll get a little glimpse into my eclectic um, interests as I tell you some of my plans. As a kid, I wanted to be a mechanic. My dad went to school to be a mechanic and was a mechanic for a long time. And I was that kid who pulled apart every boat motor, lawnmower, motorcycle on the property and then left them pulled apart and lost all my dad's tools. And uh, that lasted for a long time. That was, that was kind of my dream for a really long time. I wanted to be a mechanic um, until I got to high school, and then I thought, hmm, maybe I want to be a phi ed teacher and a football coach. That just seems like easy and fun, and you know, so that's what I want to do. Or, or maybe an architect. You think <laughs> mechanic, football coach, architect, and it's all really weird. So I went to school, though, my first, my first year of college, as a phi ed major with a coaching minor, because that was my plan. I was going to do that. Um, but after my first year of college, I dropped out to start um, my own business, uh, which was not the dock business that I did run. I was going to start a bait shop. That didn't pan out. Thank God that did not pan out. That would have been really bad. Um, and so then I eventually, I, I mean, I worked a whole bunch of random jobs, and I don't have time to get into all of that this morning. I was a car salesman and construction and vet clinic and <laughs> you name it. I've done it probably until I eventually started this dock business. And then my plan was, okay, this is great. This dock business is exploding. My plan is to, is to run this dock business and expand it to the point where I'm not the one who has to get in the cold, freezing water every spring and every fall, that I can send out crews to do that. And it was actually exploding to the point where I was just about ready to hire another crew. I had, um, it was doubling every six months, my, my business was. And that was my plan until God got in, and I'm putting this in quotes, messed up my plans and called me into ministry. Um, you know, I had all these different plans, and, and my path towards ministry is this really wiggly, convoluted path of my plans, and yet God had one plan for my life. And his plan was so much bigger and better than I would have ever thought or imagined. I, I would have never written the story of my life this way, um, but it's way better. It's been way more difficult than I ever would have thought, but it's also been more glorious than I've ever imagined, and those two things aren't antithetical to one another. Difficulty and glory come together. 
And as I was thinking about that this week and thinking about how I would have written my story if I could have chosen to do so, I thought, you know, we, we, we like to put God in kind of a box. Even if I was trying to be super spiritual and, and write my own story and think, how would God do this? I still wouldn't have written the story the way I wrote it. We, we kind of tend to get this in this habit of thinking we know how God's going to work and we know how God's going to do things. And, uh, and then when he doesn't work that way, we start to get kind of frustrated with him. I was thinking about times when I found myself in really, really difficult times and I've cried out to God and, and just kind of in this miraculous way, he, he gave me peace and comfort in a really difficult time. And yet, there are other times when I'm in a really difficult time and I cry out to God and then He doesn't give me that miraculous peace and comfort. And I get kind of frustrated. Like, what in the world, God? I, you, you should do this, right? And God says, I've got different plans. My plans are not your plans and my ways are not your ways. You know, maybe you've found yourself, you know, the Christian life is this path of being close to God and maybe far away from God and this wrestling match with God. If you read through the Psalms, you see the psalmist crying out like, God, you're the best, you're great. And then the next one, God, why have you forsaken me? And it's just this roller coaster. And and uh, when we're trying to figure out how do we draw near to God again, we'll do some of the same things that have always brought us near to God. And sometimes we find ourselves that not happening, not drawing near to God again, and we start going, God, why aren't, you, why aren't you doing that? You're not working the way I thought you should work. You know, we do that in the church sometimes, where, where you know, we did these types of things as a church, and it, and it worked, and people were growing in their faith, and the church was exploding, and, but now we find ourselves doing those same things over and over again, and God's not working the way that we think He should, and we can get frustrated with that. Because we think we've got him pegged. We think we know God's plans. We think we know the way that he works. Um, but God's plans are not our plans. And God's ways are not always our ways. And Paul's reminding us that in this chapter. And Paul says, thank goodness God's plans are not our plans. And thank goodness God works in mysterious ways. Because God does far more abundantly than we could ever ask or even imagine. God's plans are so much better than we could ever think. So let's read Ephesians 3 this morning. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets." This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mercy, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think that's Paul's theme of this whole passage, the God, not this, not that pass, not that verse there, but this idea of God, the God who does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And what, what Paul's addressing in this chapter is that the Jews thought they had God figured out. I mean, they were his chosen people. God had, God had called Abraham and set him apart from all the other nations and said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a nation, and, and you're going to be a blessing to all the other nations. And God gave them this sacrament, this sign of circumcision and practices that would separate them even more from the rest of the world. They, they were the special people of God. If anyone knew how God was going to work, it was going to be the Jews. And then God even gave the Jews the law through Moses, teaching them how to live and how to work and live and interact with one another in a way that brought God glory. And so they thought, we know this God and we know how He's going to work. And yet, Jesus stepped in and in quotes again, messed up how they thought God was going to work. Jesus stepped in and said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says, not just the Jews that that I'm going to call into my family. Now I'm going to call the Gentiles, which is the rest of the world. Anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. I'm I'm going to bring them in, and they're going to hear my voice. I'm going to bring them into my family, and there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. And the Jews said, hold on a sec, that's not how God works. We are the chosen people. If, if you want to become part of God's people, you have to become like one of us. See, in the Old Testament, non, non-Jews could become part of God's people, but they would have to go through this really ritual, this ritual cleansing to kind of cleanse all of their old Gentileness away. And then they would have to be circumcised and they would have to be 
come just like the Jews in order to become part of God's people. And they said, that's how God works. And yet Jesus came and said, I've got other people to bring in to my flock. And then Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he started to pour out his Holy Spirit on all who believed in him. And the church started to realize that he was pouring out the Holy Spirit on Gentiles. And it kind of freaked him out. Peter went to the house of Cornelius and was sharing with them about Jesus. And in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles. And Peter went, this isn't how God's supposed to work. He's only supposed to work in the Jews. That's what he's supposed to do. And so they had the first synod. Right? They had all the church leaders come together in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to try to figure out what in the world is God doing. And here's what they said. The God who knows the heart showed that he had accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to the Jews. He didn't discriminate between the Jews and the Gentiles because he purified their hearts by faith. And so they realized God's doing something different where now he's pouring out his spirit on Jews and Gentiles. He's drawing all these people into the church. Let's just let let's let them come on in is what the synod said. And yet, not everyone accepted that conclusion. Jews, a number of the Jews said, whoa, 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 wait, that is just not how God works. If you want to be part of God's people, you have to be a Jew. Sure, you can be you know, saved by faith, but you also need to be circumcised. You have to do all these Jewish practices. You have to follow all these Jewish days. That is necessary for you to be saved. Not saved by grace through faith, but saved by grace and faith and circumcision and practices and all of those things. And they started to get really angry and they started to push back against Paul. And in reality, a lot of that's what drove most of the New Testament to be written. Especially if you read the book of Galatians, Paul's writing and saying, no, no, no. God is bringing all of these new people into the church and we're brought into the church by faith. In union with Christ, not by circumcision, not by sacraments, not by what we do, not because of our practices. We're brought into the church by faith. And Paul says it was according to God's eternal purpose that this was his plan all along to do this work at that period of time in history. That God planned that when Christ came, he would blow the doors off of things, pour out his spirit generously on Gentiles and and pull them into the church. He said this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs. They're members of the family together with Israel. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ. It was his plan all along to do it this way, and yet the Jews began to think that they had figured out God a different way. And yet God's plan was way more abundant than the Jews ever asked or imagined. Way more abundant than they thought God worked. And it got me thinking about the church in general today. Um, and I know I'm still getting to know this congregation, but I'm assuming that the majority, if not all of you, are not Jewish. Unless, unless, I, unless I'm missing something. And so um, I think it's important for us not to take that for granted, 
that when God made this change in, in, in the way he brought about redemption, he just opened the doors, he brought all the Gentiles. We did not have to become Jewish to become part of the church. We had to believe in him through faith. That's it. That's what draws you into the church. That's what unites you with the rest of the body. It's by grace through faith. It's not a work of your own. Nothing you can do. And yet, it's also easy for us Gentiles. I mean, I think the majority of Christians around the entire world are Gentiles. Jew, the Jewish, Messianic Jews are the minority of believers around the world. And because it's been that way for quite a while, it's easy for us Gentiles to start doing the same things that the Jews did and start to have this attitude like we've got things figured out. And yeah, you're welcome to be part of the church. You're welcome to be part of the family of God. You just have to become like us. You have to like the way we decorate the church. You have to like the way we whatever. All these surfacey things we start to kind of put in as maybe these little steps. Like if you want to be part of this church, you just become like us and we'll let you come right in. And yet God's ways are not our ways. God, I mean, I think our natural tendency, especially in this day and age, everything's so specialized that that if we were to build churches on our own, we would have this church of teenagers and a church of young adults and a church of, you know, whatever you call not young adults, adults, I guess. <laughs> and then middle age and older. We, you know, everybody would kind of have their own little church and then they maybe even be broken up by interests. You know, these are the, this is the like older gardening church and this is the young rocker church. And, and then we would just kind of break ourselves up based on all of these things. And yet God says, that's not, that's not my plan. My plan is to draw all of you together into one church and make you one people with one shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. Our unity lies so much deeper than all of those surfacey things. That's, that's how the body works. It's actually better, more abundant for us to have old and young and rich and poor and powerful and not powerful and whatever else, all together in one body because Christ has called us to that. And it's way more abundant than we would ever have asked or imagined. And Paul looks out at the church as he turns to the second half of this chapter and he begins to pray again. If you, if you want to, if you want to learn how to pray, go through Ephesians and read all of Paul's prayers. They're, they're powerful. And Paul looks out at the church and says, I, I just pray, you know, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And as he goes through the rest of it, he's really praying, I pray, church, that you would get this, that you would understand that God's love is so much broader than you could have ever imagined as he brought, brings people in, that God wants to give you strength, that God will strengthen you through his spirit to understand all of these things, that he would, that he would dwell in your hearts through faith, that he would fill you with the fullness of God. And he, want, he just wants the church to really understand this. This, this verse right at the beginning has really stuck with me all week. I found, I, found, I found myself just praying that over and over and over again, saying, God, out of your glorious riches, may you strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner being. 
And I found myself praying that over the church, saying, Lord, may, may you, out of your glorious riches, strengthen Faith Community Church with your power through your spirit in their inner being. Like, just give them that strength and power. Because the reality is, is we need it. <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't do this. We can't do this on our own. I mean, contrary to the world around us, you know, the, the, you'll, you'll go out into culture and, and non-Christians don't have a savior. They, don't, they have nothing other than themselves to save themselves. And so that's why you hear the repeated message. No, you're strong. You're powerful. You can do this. You got it. You can do this all on your own. Because that's all they have. And yet, it doesn't take us long to realize that that's kind of bunk. That, I mean, you're going to go through life and you're going to hit a situation where you can't do it anymore. You're not in control of what comes in life. And you know, I was thinking about this time when I first started in ministry. I was young. I was 24. Yes, Tim, I, I was younger. You made fun of me about that. I'm still young, but I was even younger back then. I was just starting in ministry. I was trying to figure all of this out. I was in part-time ministry, which you know is never the case. And I was going to school full-time. I was still running the dock business full-time. I was trying to care for my young family. And, and, And I got to this point where I just had so much going on. I had so much anxiety. I just couldn't sleep. And I found myself up at like midnight, one in the morning, and I was just pacing around. I kind of felt like I was failing at everything. And I, and I, I got to the point, I sat down at my kitchen table and I pounded my fists on the table and said, God, I can't do this anymore. And then it was like this little voice, it wasn't like an audible voice of God or anything, but it kind of floated through my mind, Jason, it's about time. You can't do this on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. Look to me. I will give you strength and power through my spirit and your inner being. Look to me. I will walk you through this. Trust me. Now, did that change my life forever? Do I never get stressed anymore? No. But, but it was one of those moments where God said, you're not made to do this on your own. You need me in your life. You need me to give you strength and power through your, through my spirit, is what God was saying. You need that in your inner being, not just a physical strength, but this, this deep down in your core kind of strength and power that only the spirit can give. Nothing else can give that to you, this unshakable strength and power. Calvin says, whatever expectations you may form of God's divine blessings, his infinite goodness will exceed all of your wishes and all of your thoughts. Any expectation you may have of God comes from being someone who's finite and in this world, and yet God is infinite, so much bigger than we could ever imagine, and he will always exceed our wishes and expectations and thoughts. But as we pray this prayer for God to give us strength with power through his Spirit, the question is, how, how does God do that? And I want to caution us not to try to put God in a box here again. Because God can give you strength and power how God wants to give you strength and power. There are times where God, you'll ask, like, Lord, I just need strength. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. And God will say, 
boom, strength. And you'll make it through the day. Sometimes. Sometimes you'll pray, Lord, I need strength. I can't make it through this day. I don't know what I'm going to do. And God won't go boom, but he'll bring someone from the church by to sit with you and talk. And God will give you strength and power through his spirit for another day. Sometimes you'll not know where to go and you'll be wrestling with that and you'll open up God's word and you'll find a verse and it'll be exactly what you need and you can hold on to that verse and that promise through the day and he'll give you strength and power through his spirit, through his word. And sometimes God does it through ways that we could never even think about. We would never imagine, we would never think that God brings us strength in that way. And I was thinking about a guy named William Cooper. Um, He, along with John Newton, John Newton's the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. Um, William Cooper and John Newton wrote an entire hymnal for John Newton's church. Um, And William Cooper has a pretty incredible story if you get to uh, get a chance to read some biographies on him. Um, But he struggled with a debilitating depression. Um, to the point where there were days he couldn't even function or get out of bed. To the point where John Newton had to check on him regularly to make sure he didn't even take his own life. And in the midst of this, he was wrestling with God, asking God to give him strength and power, figuring that out. And John Newton was walking with him. And Cooper wrote this poem. I think it was probably turned into a hymn eventually. Um, But I want to read it to you because I think it shows... um, a way that God grants us strength sometimes. It's called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I think those those clouds we dread, he says, are filled with mercy and blessings and will burst over our head. Or those moments that we fear so much, in the future, may be bitter with the bud, but the flower, when it comes into full bloom, will be sweet. Because God does more abundantly than we would ever ask or imagine. He, he works in mysterious ways. His ways are not our ways, and His plans are not our plans. He does that as He draws people into the church. He draws people into the church in ways that we would never expect. He draws people into the church that we would never expect to be drawn into the church. He draws them in through in various ways that would just blow our mind because God does far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And he works in mysterious ways. 
And he does that in each one of our lives and in the life of this church. He leads us in paths that we would never guess, never expect, and yet we trust that his ways are more glorious than we could ever imagine. When God grants us strength, he doesn't always grant us strength through sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes he grants us strength through the clouds that we so much dread. And yet God works in a mysterious way and his ways are way more abundant than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we come to you acknowledging our own limited sense of how we view our lives and we view the world. Lord, you know all things. We know very little. As we look at the world, and as we live in this world, we misinterpret, we misunderstand, we don't always know what you're doing. But Lord, we give you thanks for being a God we can trust. We give you thanks for being a God who does know what he's doing, a God who works in mysterious ways, and a God who works beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Father, forgive us when we doubt you. Forgive us when we lose our trust in you over our future. And help us to lay our lives in your hands more and more each day. Father, open our eyes to see the way that you work in our lives. Open our eyes to see some of the mysterious ways that you work. I ask you to open our eyes to see that you work more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And all God's people said, Amen.